Welcome to the Vine Line, an informational feature provided to wine grape growers by the Lake County Wine Grape Commission. In this episode, we feature the audio from a webinar presented by the Commission on May 13, 2021. Okay, welcome everybody to today's webinar called Water Stewardship and Drought Conditions. My name is Brenna Sullivan. I'm the Executive Director of the Lake County Farm Bureau. And together with Deborah Summerfield, President of the Lake County Wine Grape Commission, we'd like to welcome each of you to today's webinar. We've designed today to give you an opportunity to hear from experts and growers about how they look at drought conditions and how to adjust farming practices to balance water conservation, plant health, successful crop production, and overall farm sustainability. Before we get started, I'd just like to review a bit of housekeeping. All attendees have been placed on mute, and during this webinar, the chat function has been disabled. However, if you have a question during the session, you may type it into the Q&A, and I will ask our speakers to address a few of them if time allows at the end. Originally, we had scheduled this webinar to conclude at 2.30, However, we have added some pertinent information we hope you'll find useful and will conclude today at 2.45. The webinar is being recorded and will be available on the Commission's website following the webinar. So to kick us off, I'd like to briefly introduce our speakers. We will begin with an update from county officials. Sheriff Brian Martin is here to provide an update on the recent declaration of a state of emergency due to drought conditions. We're also gonna have a focused panelist discussion featuring the following speakers. Brock Zoller is president of the Pear Doctor Incorporated and an independent agricultural advisor to pear and wine grape growers. He has been active on many local and industry boards and committees, holds a doctorate in plant pathology from UC Davis and farms wine grapes, walnuts, and owns a pear orchard. Brian Ron is a certified professional soil scientist, certified agronomist, and certified crop advisor and president and founder of Coastal Viticultural Consultants Incorporated, which specializes in vineyard feasibility studies, soil mapping, vineyard nutrition, vineyard design, water conservation, pathogen spore traps, and vineyard irrigation management. Cameron Mortson is managing partner of Thompson Mortson Vineyards and his Lake County operation, LNL Vineyards. He's currently serving on the Lake County Wine Grape Commission and is newly elected to the California Association of Wine Grape Growers. He's also an appointee of the Sonoma County Planning Commission and holds a Master of Science degree in agriculture with a specialization in crop science. Pardon me, moderating our panel today is Clay Shannon, owner of Shannon Ridge Family of Wines and Shannon Ranches, which today comprises 900 vineyard acres. His winery was named one of the hottest wine brands by Wine Business Monthly and today produces 328,000 cases of wine under nearly a dozen brands. We hope you find today's session useful and timely. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Sheriff Brian Martin. Thank you, Brennan. Thank you for all the participants and putting this on. It's a very important discussion. As uh, Brennan talked about, I want to discuss the uh, recently ratified declaration of an emergency due to drought conditions in Lake County. Uh, in my role and capacity uh, as the County Emergency Services Director, I issued a proclamation on May 6th declaring drought conditions. Uh, obviously, this proclamation is a little bit different uh, than other emergency proclamations that we have. Uh, the drought isn't something that we can really respond to and control, much like with fires, we can put them out. Uh, but with the drought, we're really at the mercy of, of Mother Nature. Uh, and the only thing we can do is take steps to uh, conserve water and then implement measures if needed uh, to, um, to ensure compliance with our, with our requests. 
the governor recently uh, ratified a proclamation statewide that includes 41 counties. One of those counties is in Lake County declaring drought emergencies throughout the vast majority of the state. And earlier uh, last month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture Commissioner uh, declared a disaster in, in many California counties as well as a result of drought conditions. What the emergency proclamation does is it opens up some avenues of funding, both for county, uh, private organizations uh, that, that may not typically be available if you're not in a, a declared state of emergency. Already, we've had some of our, our municipal water districts uh, report back that they're seeking some funding and that the funding may be contingent on the declaration of an emergency. So we want to make sure that any resources that are available, not only for our governments, but for our, our private industry sectors uh, that are impacted by this, uh, this ongoing drought disaster have every opportunity to be reimbursed for any damages that they've suffered or any losses that are incurred as a result of this. Uh, certainly doesn't guarantee the availability of those fundings, but however, it will make a lot of those fundings available. Our goals at the county uh, right now are, are mainly we're in a, um, an informational uh, and an encouraging uh, mode of operation to try to encourage people to voluntarily implement practices that conserve water, uh, whether it's you know, turning off the water while you're brushing your teeth, it might be something as simple as that. Uh, to people in this industry, maybe practice the best, um, the best watering uh, practices that are available that will still allow you to stay in business. Um, we want to make sure that those water uh, resources, whether they're, they're groundwater, surface water, uh, wells, municipal water sources, uh, don't run dry and, and cause additional impacts. We're going to have regular discussions with the Board of Supervisors. We're convening a, a group uh, to discuss what our response is going to be tomorrow with some key stakeholders within county government and some of the other local stakeholders in city and tribal governments, uh, as well as uh, representatives from the Farm Bureau, uh, cannabis industry, uh, water resources, and others. Um, again, uh, the focus of our efforts is to um, really get the word out to try to save as much water as we can. And we also want to uh, make sure that we're setting good examples ourselves as we ask others to do the same. Um, with that, I'm happy to take any questions now or, or throughout the meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Sheriff Martin. And I'll, I'll look at the chat and let you know if we have any questions as we move forward. So before we get to our panelist discussion, Brock Soller is going to give us an update on the county rainfall trends for this year with a bit of a historical perspective as well. Well, hopefully we can get the rainfall graph on the screen there. If Megan is listening there in the background someplace, uh, yeah, hopefully that'll pop up. But uh, years ago, I started working here in about 1972 in Lake County. One of my first clients was Ross Benson. And uh, he had rainfall data dating back to about 1935. And his father had been a farmer back into the previous century here in Lake County. So there was a lot of history there. And uh, as we approached the 1976-77 drought, if you look at the screen there, uh, there was quite a bit of concern expressed in the county. And Boss uh, Benson had been through the one in the 30s. And so he was maybe a little less concerned about it. But as, as you can see, uh, we had some pretty tough uh, rainfall years there. 7677. And if you progress ahead to where we are today, uh, you can see we're at least that low as far as the Big Valley rainfall. Fortunately, it's a little better in some other areas of Lake County, but basically the same uh, uh, criterion is there. It's uh, one of the lower rainfall years. And some places, such as Upper Lake, have a little higher rainfall always. And so they're a little higher at this point, but only about four inches above Big Valley. And normally that's kind of where they are. They're about, uh, you know, 20, 30% more in the upper left area than the big valley. 
And same goes around the county. Kind of depends on where you are. But uh, hopefully we'll have Scott DeLeon in here and we'll have some well tests to show where the groundwater level is in Big Valley in relation to this rainfall. Uh, there is some hope if you look at the years leading into 76, 77, that uh, there, there weren't quite as heavy rainfall, but there were more of them leading into it in a row. If you move over to where we are today, you can see we have some spikes up, and, but one that was pretty low also, below 20 here. And so we're not exactly sure, you know, how we are coming into this, except uh, we went, our house uses Kelsey Creek water and uh, the, the creek dried up last year in extremely low water year, or it had not in some other years, so it had been a little bit higher. So we have some hope. And part of it, I think, is probably the fires. They've taken a lot of vegetation off the hills, and so that, that water ends up literally in the streams, which regenerate the groundwater. You probably heard people are concerned about groundwater down in the San Joaquin Valley, and the, the experts say it takes thousands of years when the groundwater gets depleted to regenerate it. Well, that's that's really not the case here in Lake County. Fortunately, we get annual rainfall in those under streams, and it, it annually recharges the, the groundwater in Big Valley. So, rainfall is is very important. And as I say, there may have been more recharge occurring this year, and I hope it's information we thought about as well tested. Show that that's true. But uh, when we went into 76, 77, one of the differences I recall was that a lot of the pear trees came out and uh, there wasn't much growth on them there in 77, especially. And they had a huge crop and I had trouble sizing it. This year I see a big crop, but I see a lot of growth on the trees. They're growing like weeds. And so part of this has to do with, frankly, we, we led into this winter year. After we saw that three out of four of the best rainfall months were bad, we, we started doing some irrigating in March. So, uh, to the extent we're able, uh, I think that helped quite a bit. Uh, the vineyards are a little bit different in that uh, Big Valley here, we oftentimes will have to put on frost water leading into the season, and uh, that will pretty much recharge the groundwater if we're putting on normal amounts of frost water, and we don't have to worry quite so much about what's how the roots are being wetted. Uh, this year there wasn't quite so much frost, so that's another consideration. Maybe we haven't quite gotten this what it's too much as we thought. But when you get down to about eight and a half inches of rainfall, like we have a big valley, you can expect maybe to get six feet of soil wet, and then there's going to be dryness. So the question is, what, where does that leave us for the rest of the season? How should we begin to water based on the fact that the lower part of the profile is probably going to be drier than normal? So that's kind of my lead in. If, uh, Scott has got here. I'd love to hear some well data. Thank you, Brock. Uh, we don't have Scott in yet. So right now I'm going to turn it over to Brian Ron, who's going to give us just some introductory info before we get into our panel discussion. Okay. All right. So this is this is all about drought. So first, first thing, spend water like money. Because it it is it, that that's that's how critically we should be thinking about it, even when there isn't a drought, is every, is conserving water resources every way we can. So we got a number of questions we want to answer. When do we start? And and I want to kind of talk about questions we have and maybe some sources of information or data that you can use to kind of help make those decisions. So when do we start? Or do I pre-irrigate? Well, that's soil moisture driven. So there, you need to know the soil moisture status of your root zone, 
at least the top, say, four or five, six feet, depending on how deep your soil is. Number of ways to do that, there are soil moisture probes that can, you can, that can measure soil moisture. You can use a hand soil auger, auger down in there and, and, and evaluate the soil moisture by hand. So if you feel that, that, that starting out, the soil moisture is low in what I would call your critical root zone, where most of your roots are, then you would consider a pre-irrigation to wet that to wet that area. And even with pre-irrigations, you're not gonna irrigate the entire row. You're just gonna make that onion. You're gonna put some water there underneath that emitter to, to provide some water for the, for the plants to start. Now, during the growing season, if, uh, so when do we start? Pre-irrigation is soil. When do, we, when do we start irrigating the vineyard? Well, that's plant measurements. And there's tools you can use there. There's you know pressure bomb, parameters. There's also things like a stress index chart. And I think I, I sent that on, the one that we use, where you look at just you know the tips, how fast the plants are growing. And as, as they start to slow down, as the shoot lengths start to start to shrink, that's a, that's a sign that, that uh, they're undergoing some water stress. And then you, you would start to consider putting on putting on some irrigations. So now that you know, okay, great. I've got, I've looked at them, I've figured it out. They need to put on water. Now, how much do I put on? Well, the, typically that's evapotranspiration driven and, and it depends on how big your canopy is, what the evapotranspiration forecast is gonna be. And I guess everyone can get Western weather for your network uh, here up in Lake County to be able to, to access good weather, weather data to help you look at, at the ET forecast and use that as a guide for how much water you wanna put on. Then the final thought of, okay, now I, all right, I'm ready to start. I'm gonna put on X amount of water per vine. The next thing you wanna consider is making sure you're placing it properly. What I mean by that is you wanna look at the efficiency of your system you know, leaks, plug emitters, and there's some high iron waters out here that make it difficult to get good distribution uniformity. Good, distribu good distribution uniformity becomes more and more important as water resources get, tight, get tighter, that you're putting on uh, a, a more precise amount for all the vines or all the trees in, in, that, that you're, you're irrigating. So, so the distribution number is one thing. The other thing would be making sure you're not driving the water that you say you're putting on 24 gallons to so just pick or 18 gallons or 12 gallons. You want to make sure that you're not pushing that water deeper than where your critical root zone is. So maybe you're going to need to run, if you run 12 hours, maybe you're going to need to run two sixes to avoid two six hour sets to avoid pushing the water too deep. And that is another function of measuring soil moisture to where the plant stress will, will tell you and the ET forecast will tell you how much you need, but the soil moisture helps in, in knowing that, that number one, the soil moisture got there and how deep it went. If it's going, if you have a lot of water going deep or your deep profile is staying wet, chances are you, you, you may be putting on too, too much water or, not, or you can split it up and maybe play, uh, apply less water. So, um, our objectives, number one, grow enough canopy to ripen a crop first. So that's what the pre-irrigation is about, making sure that you can get shoot elongation to, to grow enough leaves to ripen your crop. Next thing we wanna do 
is set a crop when they go get into bloom. Any water stress at bloom and you're gonna and part of the crop is gonna shatter. Severe water stress at bloom, it's gonna the, it's gonna be a, a huge problem with shatter. So making sure that going into set uh, that you've that you've got the plants at least with some water in that upper profile where they can they can grow normally and and have enough leaves. Now we've got the crop set and you're into sizing. Our objective is to keep enough leaves on the plant to ripen the crop. And this is where, where we have some leeway, where we can, uh, my, the way I describe it is you, you hold your water until, until you see the whites of their eyes. In other words, you hold your water until you feel, oh, especially, and there's two classes here now. People that have plenty of irrigation water, plenty of water resources, well, you're just going to end up irrigating more. The folks that, that have limited water resources, this is where you're going to have to keep your powder dry as long as you can. And, and, and the, the events I would look for would be what they call high VPD events, vapor pressure deficit. And, I'm, and that is in, that's, that number is, is in the Western weather uh, uh, portal where you, where you can look at that. Th those are the events where with high VPD events, you run the risk of yellowing canopies, dehydrating fruit. And those, those are the events where you need to put on maybe the little extra water that you've got to get them through that real high heat and then have them just kind of limp along after that. So look at soil moisture, access the weather data that's free, correct? Is that correct? that we have free weather. Yeah, we get nods there. Yes, from the, the Great Growers Association. So learn how to access that. Use your eyeballs to go out there and measure if you need to and see if they're still growing and what they look like. And, and then try to use the water as effectively as you can. And what I found, and particularly in what we call skeletal soils, rocky soils, is if you split it up, Rather than giving them 12 hours at once, but you give them four gallons three times that week. I know it's a pain in the butt, and I know it, it's, it's easier with timers, but the water goes further. So that's that's all I've got. I think I've said enough. Thank you so much, Brian. And now I'm going to turn it over to Clay, who's going to lead a panelist discussion with Brock, Brian, and Cameron to discuss some of these management practices further. Good afternoon, um, and thanks to all the panelists uh, uh, for your good speeches so far. And uh, we, we came up with a list of, of questions to, to ask you folks, and I'm going to jump around. I'm not going to start on top so I can confuse you a little bit, and then I might uh, add some different things. And um, But let's start here. Uh, what, and anybody can jump in there, uh, whoever first uh, gets to answer the question, but what broad suggestions do you have for irrigation this growing season? Um, and th this needs to cover the valley floor versus mountains versus if you have a lot of water versus not much water at all. What are the, the key strategies that we all, all could uh, do a better job with or learn from? Can I jump in here, Clay? Yeah, so I, I think uh, you heard Brian mention distribution uniformity, and I think you know another key component to distribution uniformity is is you know if you only have uh, a certain amount of water to use this year, is you want to make sure you're applying it as evenly as possible because I think one of the things that's going to become critically more important on years like this is trying to get the get the crop to ripen evenly. So uh, we all know that winemakers can be efficient or can be picky, 
And so they're going to wait for kind of those straggling, uh, straggling vines to catch up to everything. So, so whatever we can do to kind of keep that, keep that water uh, distribution uniformity as, as high as possible, that's going to help because you know, another thing that Brian mentioned was, uh, you know, if you have rocky soils as you want to break up those irrigations a little bit more. And so you, obviously you have to know your site and know what's going to be best for your vineyard there. But uh, the further off your distribution uniformity is, the the worse that that uh, that variability is going to be. So I think I think that's going to be one of the most important things. Whether you're in the hillsides, right? It's harder to have distribution uniformity because the the drip emitters and are running downhill. Uh, so just just knowing your site and knowing what's going to be most practical for your site and your soils. Thanks. Um, lots of questions here, so I'm going to keep going here. What specific tools are critical to crop management during drought? Well, I could I could chip in here, and then probably Brian would have a lot to say about this. But uh, I think it's very important to have an idea of what your soil looks like, and uh, the best way I I've found out over the years to know that is to, is to plant your crop into something that's already had a perennial crop on it and crop crop cycles and problems. And you get to see how those perennial crops respond in particular years. And uh, that situation is, is a product of what's down there in the soil. And it's not really going to go away unless you attempt to change it somewhat. So the most important thing really tool you can have really is to know what your soil structure is. You can, if you don't have a perennial crop to look at before you plant, you can dig a lot of holes in you know, the backfill and find out the layering of the soil. In some places that really shouldn't be planted until you do some restructuring, you know, break up the layers so that the water penetration is the same across all of them. I think these droughts are a learning process and uh, we're basically going to find out you know, where those places are in the particular vineyards and perennial crops uh, because we're going through a situation we haven't gone through before. So, for example, if you're out in the valley floor and, you know, our soils up here have been formed by streams meandering around in the valley, and there can be layers there of gravel that you don't even know exist really, unless you dig holes or unless you saw a perennial crop growing in them. I mean, they sort of, you know, faded away at the end of summer, you know, indicating that there's something wrong there in the soil. So those are situations that uh, really you don't see sometimes. If there's plenty of water that comes down, you know, from above and it fills all the soil crop well, uh, you, don't, you don't really see those things develop every year the same way. So it's important to keep in mind that these things can vary a little bit each year. Thank you. What, um, this is a directed question. Uh, Cameron, uh, how are you going to approach grapevine shoot thinning this year? And Sauvignon Blanc versus Cabernet and in, in where you farm? Any differently? Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we've noticed in, in all of our vineyards, and, and again, it depends on what part of the vineyard is, you know, the vines are already responding to the drought. And so, you know, they're going to, they're going to show you, they're going to tell you what, what they can and can't do. So in, in some instances where we thought, you know, we did, we did a pretty darn good job of, you know, pruning to balance, you know, the vines, the vines didn't push in some areas and that could be due to cold damage or it could be due to drought, condi drought conditions because we didn't have adequate rain in the fall. We didn't have adequate rain in the spring. So I think, you know, uh, case in point there is, is, you know, we were doing some pre-irrigating. We want to make sure that as we're going into bloom that we've got, uh, we've, we've got the, the soil moisture that we need to be able to get the fruit on the vine. Um, and I think, you know, you have to get it on there in order to be able to take it off because uh, if, if you can't get the fruit on the vine, it, it, it doesn't do you any good. And we're all in this business to raise a crop and, and make a few bucks. 
So I think, you know, as soon as, as soon as we know what these vines can sustain after fruit set, you know, then we're going to go in and uh, just try and attack these things so that we can, uh, so we can grow and ripen a nice even crop this year. Thank you. Do you think, uh, does anybody, this is up for everybody, if we were to limit the Lake County Sheriff Department in their, in their bottled water provisions, would that help our agriculturists? Um, I'm just kidding. I couldn't, uh, Brian, I couldn't help myself there. Sorry. <laughs> no pun intended, but I feel way out of my element. <laughs> All right. We got to have a little fun here. There's enough stress around. Uh, how do you, um, okay, how, how do you, how do we, um, irrigate a newly planted vineyard this year i mean um maybe you wish you wouldn't have planted it at this point but what uh anybody have any ideas on that all right cameron you want to take that one yeah no i i think i think this is really important um you know one of the things uh, i'm sure you know many people have experienced this in lake county over the last few years is uh we're, we're seeing more and more erratic uh conditions so earlier frost later frost um, so I think, you know, one of the most important things to, to think about and consider when dealing with, with non-bearing vines is, is making sure that, that you're going to achieve cold hardiness, right? Because grapevines are pretty darn resilient, right? You get them to grow, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you're irrigating them too far into the fall and you've got soft, uh, soft tissues on there, you're going to be more liable to, to fall frost. And that, you know, when, the, when those vines don't, you know, when they're, you know, the caliper on them is very thin and they don't have a lot of bark to protect them against the cold is you want to make sure that you get really good lignification going into the fall so that those vines can can adequately achieve uh, cold hardiness and make it through the winter. So I think that's I think that's an extremely important point on non-bearing vines. It's less of an issue on bearing vines because the, the fruit will help self-regulate those vines, but certainly on non-bearing vines is just be careful about that, that late summer uh, irrigation and tapering that down so that those vines can lignify and achieve cold hardiness. Okay, I'd like to kind of talk. You talk a newly planted vine, the vineyard, you know, something you just put in the ground. Okay, this is what I want you to think about. All you people got them in the ground. You just put them in the ground, and they've got this little bitty root zone. And then you've gone out there, and you've got a plastic jug, a one gallon gallon jug of water, and you go glug 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 glug. You drop that thing there on Monday. You put one gallon on. You know, if that was a potted plant, how long do you think that would last? Probably quite a while. So if you're putting on your newly planted vines, you're going to put on, if you are putting on an hour and you got a half, uh, half or two liter per hour emitters, so that's about half a gallon. If you're putting on a couple gallons a week or a couple hours, that's about a gallon that's going on top of that vine. So even if you're doing that twice a week, that's plenty of water, depending on how dry that soil is underneath. You're probably going to run some pretty good water to wet that area up first but then you might want to edge it back a little bit. Young, young vines have such a limited root zone that you don't really need to be pushing water down two and three feet initially okay, if you wet it up. Because they will get there because the soil is already wet. So even though it's hot or it's going to be 100 degrees or what have you, you know, a gallon or two per week is going to be plenty for those little things as long as you get, it, get that onion wet. Okay, you know, I've seen uh, just uh, one comment and then another question. Uh, uh, in general, in this county, I don't think we're as bad off as some folks. Uh, there's some parts of, of, of Napa that I know of that there's people that have zero water. They are dry farming this year for the first time ever. Last year they had water. So it could always be worse um, and we hope for the best. But another question, what canopy management techniques could uh, 
we employ uh, as a grower, you employ, uh, uh, to reduce irrigation needs. Brian? Okay. <laughs> well, all right, here we go. So, all right. More vertical, less water. More, more horizontal, more water. The more, the more shade cover you have, the more water you use. But bees have their issues too. But the more vertical systems, because you've got, because you're more prone to burn. So, the the answer is this: the bigger the vines are, the more you got to feed them. You know, you got a Shetland pony, you got a Clydesdale. Clydesdale is going to drink more water. So, to try to limit the try to try to limit the growth as best as as best you can, and um, I would say avoid overleafing. Um, I think the, the fear of powdery mildew um, uh, causes a lot of people to basically overleaf and make themselves prone to sunburn. So I think even if you're you're removing laterals and leaving leaving those fan leaves on the outside, I think that's that that's a good thing to do. Um, the longer the longer the the longer the shoots get. The more water you use, if you're going to go in and hedge, that's that's a, that's one way to do it. But if you do that, you've got to you've got to remember that if you hedge them after they stop growing, they will not push any more young leaves. So if you're going to hedge them to make the shorts, the shoots shorter, then you've got to be you've got to have some active growth so some of those laterals will push and you'll get some good young leaves to ripen your crop. So. As far as canopy management, yeah, that's that's part of what I'd look at. Brian, um, this isn't our question list, but I've heard some folks that have zero water or shoot thinning down to one shoot per spur, if it's spur prune. Uh, one shoot per spur and then managing the length of that shoot versus your uh, two shoots per spur, you might say. What what will that have a positive or effect on less water usage? Absolutely. The number of reduce the number of leaves, you reduce the transpiration, you reduce the number of shoots, you reduce the crop. Uh, reducing the crop doesn't necessarily save that much water. But yeah, the, the, you make a smaller vine, it's going to use less water. And and, re, and sucker early. Get those suckers out of here. You know, get get the suckers out of the way. And then I guess we'll probably talk about cover crops at some point. Uh, you know how we manage those. But yeah, sucker early. And if you're gonna, you know, if it's cane, you're gonna have shorter canes aggressively then yeah it'll definitely what what uh positive or negative effect uh, uh cover cropping and mowing versus cultivation um um what are we doing what's what's the best for water conservation uh what's the best for fire control uh what's the best for uh, uh sequestering carbon etc anybody want to grab that one uh, a best okay <laughs> okay it's give and take so okay so i'm a soil scientist soil health is is, is in now that and that that makes my heart glad we're thinking about it oh if you increase organic matter in the soil you increase water over faster so the rain that you do get you're going to hold more of it so and and this game is all about water holding capacity because we farm soil units we farm uh, this soil series here, we farm that soil series there, and they aren't always rectangles like or squares like we make them. Our fields are, are the shapes of our soil series. So managing each soil series to increase organic matter, which you do with cover crops, is a great, is a great thing. It's good for soil health, it's good for a lot of things. But cover crops are planted weeds. 
and they dry and they dry that they dry that soil surface and they compete with our vineyard. A mistake that I think people have made in the past is putting in rootstocks that weren't vigorous enough. That basically they're putting in these lower vigor rootstocks that are drought sensitive and the cover crops would dominate them. We're gonna have to learn to live with maybe wall-to-wall -wall cover crop, who knows? Um, and, and to try and plant our vineyards to be able to have our soils not requiring tilling. Tilling's great for weed control and spading looks beautiful, but it, it oxidizes organic matter. There's just, there's no doubt about it. The soils will reflocculate, the, the structure will come back, but you've got to account for the water use of that cover crop, the nutrient pull of that cover crop. And, and, and when people go to cover crops ha having not used them, I'll give you the two to three years. If you don't change something with your irrigation and fertilization, that that vineyard will be weaker. Nothing happens quickly in vineyards, but 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 that will that will occur. So I'm just saying some of the planning that we do now is going to be for higher vigor rootstocks, root, uh, um, uh, drought tolerant rootstocks, and planning to have our cover crops out there and maybe just mow and find a system where. We can get enough vigor out of the grapevines and still have soil health and that extra organic matter to, to hold hold the water, hold more water holding capacity. What what um, I mean, if you're in a we're talking grapes, I'm not a, um, and I don't know who's going to answer this, but you have a fungicide program, a preventative program for mildew. We have wettable micronized sulfurs. We have sulfur dusts. We have oils. We have these other whole list of stuff that you use that I don't know what you call them, but strobies and this and that. Um, does the use of sulfur is pretty inexpensive. Uh, uh, contact is usually pretty good. It works very well. Um, uh, it's a natural product, I guess, or whatever. But what what effect, positive or negative, uh, sulfur dust versus a wettable sulfur versus a, another spray as far as it creating temperature, hotter temperature, water usage in vines? Is there is there is there anything written or any data to that? I don't know anything written, but you know we've used a lot of sulfur, of course, over the years in grapes. And uh, as far as you know, pest management, I, I personally prefer the oils at this point. But the oils, uh, same thing. You don't want to use it too late in the year when it's really hot because maybe you really want to burn. Same could be said about the sulfur. So. There are some issues with those things, and uh, I, I think they're probably primarily issues when you get into real heat things rather than this time of the year. Uh, part of the color of sulfur, it could be that the you know, fraction of light maybe would be helpful. I don't know if they material on the plants, I don't know. Uh, getting back to what Brian was talking about the cultivating, I, I look back over my years of pears, and when we got into tough years, uh, cultivation was where it was at. And it's, in some cases, it was just a one-year thing, but there always was a response from the plants, you know, the cultivating. The question is now, can, can I legally cultivate? You know, if I'm on a hillside and <laughs> create sediment, things like that. So those are the questions that have to be answered. And uh, some of the people I used to work for, they were very much advocates of, of transitioning from time to time. Uh, they were cover crop people and it was easy to manage the plants, you know, when you had a cover crop put equipment on and they liked that. But at some point, you know, you're in a dry year and, you know, I should have to support that cover crop because I don't know what my well is going to look like. 
from the end. And we're, we're talking about as if we know what's going to be like at the end of this year. But having gone through years like this before, you don't know. You don't know if you can save the water in the well or if you elect to pump it out later, maybe it's all going to go out somebody else's well in the same water table. So you're not exactly sure unless you have a lot of experience with your own situation what, what it's going to be like. So I don't know. I kind of I kind of think we have to, you know, manage as best we know our own vineyards at a given time. And uh, I've been through years when when wells, you know, for my walnuts where I live out on Kelsey Creek Drive have gone dry and the creek has gone dry and it's just Whereas down in the valley where the wells, you know, have generated, been generated by the streams and they hold up quite well, it hasn't been a problem. At the same time, in some of the drought years, some of the wells have not factored in the valley. So we don't really know for sure what it's going to be like. That's the problem. What, what um, does going out in the afternoon um, and feeling the temperature of the leaves <laughs> brian i'm an old brian and i are old guys brock you got a nice head of hair still so uh i'm gonna stick with the old guys on this one what is uh what is feeling the leaves gonna do for us here um that's an old thing i used to do and uh what what's it gonna help us with somebody uh leaf temperatures yes okay are they transpiring that's the answer so and and so here's the thing when you the stress index thing at some point we'll put that on a web on website or something or whatever. This is the signal. Vines are climbers, climb up the canopy. That's what they do. They get up on top. They get up on top of the trees, and there you go. When they start to look like this, the tips are falling back. And, uh, uh, number three there. I guess you can't see. My, you can't see my cursor. Um, uh, number three there. Here's here's how vines react to water stress. They close the stomates, their, their stomates are little cells that they exchange water with in the, on the, the leaves in the sun and they transpire in the shade. So if they're under moderate water stress, this, the leaves, the sun, the ones in the sun should feel warm to the touch and people, and your hands are very good sensors. You know, if you have, if you have people out there with children, if someone has a, a child, oh yeah, let me feel your forehead. And oh, you have a, a temperature of hundred, gee, you feel hot. Well, 98.6 to 100 is what, 1.6 degrees? We can, these are great sensors for, for, for variation in temperature. So that's why us out there feeling the canopies work. If you're feeling the sun leaves and they feel warm, but you get those shade leaves and they still feel cool to the touch, you've got them under what we call a, a, a stress index of three, which is where, which is the good place to be. If you see yellowing, that's at number four here, yellowing underneath or the forest, so that burned off tip. And then in the heat of the day, even the sun leaves feel warm, you're on, you're on the verge of, of, of having uh, defoliation problems. And, or or, or the, the, the bunches feel rubbery, you know, just rubbery in the, in the heat of the day, but in the morning, they're not, they're not turgid again. You're, you're on the verge of, of, of desiccation. So that, that's what that does. And, and I one other one other soil thing, and I'll and I'll and I'll stop talking. One of the inefficiencies I see is having irrigation systems go through two different soil types: a rocky area versus a deep soil, what have you. And you're either over irrigating that rock pile, and uh, to to uh, or trying to keep the rock pile going while you over irrigate the rest the rest of your vineyard. Separate those soil units as best you can 
with your drip systems. That's something I forgot to say earlier. Even if you've got to retrofit some things with, with second poly or whatever you have to do to where you can get those corners, give them what they need and stop over irrigating the rest of it. Um, I, I just want to know um, in, in Napa, uh, where I know you're from, the, the difference between 100 and 98.6 is 1.6 is what you stated. Uh, but in Lake County, it's actually 1.4, Brian. Oh, um, it, oh. <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, um, yeah. Nope. Th thank you. I stand correct. So my hands are even better than I thought. My, so, my, my math brain isn't working too good this afternoon, but all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I think we got one more question uh, and then somebody's going to cut us off. But I think the biggest question, uh, most of the varietals that are planted in the county, it's either the, the majority are either Cabernet or Chevignon Blanc. Um, is there a way, is, is there differences in water needs based on valley or hillside, just the varietal? Is there, is there a way we could treat the varietal different, the different varieties different and, and water? I, I, I'd, I'd like to know what you think about that. Is that, am I making sense? More than I did, I guess. <laughs> Cameron, can can you irrigate Sauvignon Blanc different than Cabernet? Yeah, I mean, I think le uh, variety is less important than the site. So, you know, if you're if you're up at uh, two thousand feet in the Red Hills, um, you're going to be obviously higher elevation. But one of the things that you're going to see later in the fall is you're going to have lower relative humidity, uh, and you're going to have uh, smaller diurnal temperature fluctuations. Whereas if you're down in Big Valley, uh, you're you know you're going to see uh, you know higher uh, higher diurnal temperature fluctuations, and you're going to see um, higher relative humidity, and so I think that's that's a more important cue than variety play in, in my mind. Um, so I think just knowing your site and knowing kind of what you know what you're up against is more important than the variety that you've got planted. Um, so those are the those are the things that I'd be thinking about is. Um, hey, what's my elevation? What's my diurnal temperature fluctuation uh, changes in relative humidity? Because, you know, the vines are recovering at night, uh, but if it's not cooling off at night and you're not getting that, uh, that pickup in moisture at night, then, then, you know, you're kind of finding a hill battle. What, I got one last quick question for Brian, if I can, uh, Brenna. Um, Brian, what, you know, we're, we're worried about fire and all that. What, what, uh, what, what are you hearing out there? Um, what, what should we be doing to, to be smarter about fire prevention and, and such and in the vineyards and keeping our county uh, uh, cooler and uh, less, uh, less on fire? That, that, that's, that's a great question. You know, people are <laughs> wrong, wrong Brian. I was wondering which Brian you were talking about. I'm sorry, Brian Martin, the question's for Brian Martin. <laughs> I have no idea, I'm a great guy. Hey, well, actually, the uh, the vineyards have been shown really to stop those fires. So every time I see a vineyard going in, uh, particularly those ones along uh, the Rivieras, those are just huge fire breaks for us. So, you know, in, it, putting those vineyards in in strategic locations, if you can find a location that's good for the, uh, um, the grape grower uh, that happens to provide a benefit for some of our communities that are uh, that are uh, in precarious situations, that'd be great. As far as personal steps, um, all those fire mitigation measures, you, you do have in your defensible space, getting rid of the ladder fuels, little things at home, like cleaning out your rain gutters. One of the things I don't hear them talking about a lot, and I don't know if this is just anecdotal, but from what I saw during the Valley Fire, those roof vents that everybody has to allow air circulation in the roofs, the ones that had no screens or had plastic screens, uh, it seems that they were able to suck in embers and those really small, great, 
um, metal screens that go over those roof vents. I saw a lot of homes that that made it through that that had those. That was kind of one of the common things. I don't know. I don't know how much there is to it. That was just my personal observation. But uh, definitely have a plan. Have be ready to go. I tell people that uh, for fire preparedness, if your plan is, oh my gosh, I'm going to call 911 and figure out what I should do as soon as the fire starts, and your plan's probably going to fail you. Uh, so really be prepared for fire season. It's not. We've already had some fires that have started. Uh, we had one off of Morgan Valley Road last week that was in uh, one of the previous, I think it was in the Rocky Fire uh, burn scar, and it, it still moved. It wasn't real fast. It wasn't like any of the previous fires where it was just zooming right through here, but it was still able to move through that area that got burned five or six years ago. So don't make the mistake of thinking that, um, you know, 60% of the land in Lake County is burned, so that's 60% not, that's not going to burn. It can burn again, uh, and, and it'll burn with the same same characteristics, maybe a little bit slower, but the same We'll see the same burn patterns and the same uh, um, activity as far as it spreads. So be ready. If you got impacted before, uh, you know, there's a likelihood that you could be impacted again. Hey, I should probably comment on that. I was at the Winegate Commission, I did damage reports on probably about 11 different properties that they burned. And uh, really, basically, the vineyards do not burn. They burn around the edges where weeds go up to them and, and you know, brush and things like that. But as far as going through the vineyard, Unless you have cover crops and weeds yourself, they're not really going to burn. So the only ones that had damage, really, per se, were ones that had, had cover crops, and they were ones that where the cover crop was allowed to grow a little bit too high. You know, they have to live on it. But other than that, you know, the vineyards, they don't burn. They're green. I mean, one, one thing I can say about the cover crops is, is one thing we do is if you're out there mowing, mow it when the humidity's high. Get the guys up early shut them down by 11 o'clock in the morning or noon latest or earlier watch that humidity it's a big big difference and uh let's let's uh let's not make uh, as growers but let's share with each other and our and our neighbors whether you're mowing weeds or whatever talk to your neighbors talk to each other let's not make more work for brian because he does a great job out there uh the the sheriff brian the sheriff that is and uh uh you know mow those weeds when the humidity's high you know um that's that's what we do, and, and I think that's super smart. And that's all I got to say. Do, is there any? Do we got to do any questions, or what do we do? Well, we had a few questions in the chat. I think we can, given that this is a short question, the only one that hasn't been answered. Um, I think it'll be easy to answer. Um, one of the questions was: If the grower has overhead and drip, is it better to fill the soil, soil profile with overhead or with the drip irrigation? I'm going to grab that one. Yes, uh, sir. Okay. Okay. Uh, sprinklers that do a better job of putting water everywhere, but use a lot more water. And if you've got a cover crop out there, if you're if you're pre-irrigating with that, you're going to the cover crop's going to use a lot of that water. So if you if you have a limited amount of water to pre-irrigate with, I would not use the sprinklers. If it if you was, if it was clean disc and you had an, and you had a, a a lot of water that you could could pre-irrigate with. Or you could irrigate with to the, but you could do it that way. But the efficiency is so much, so much less because of evaporation. I just think that the best way to best way to deal with it is through the drip system. Thank you, Brian. Well, on that note, and given that we're a few minutes over, I just really want to thank everyone for their time today and coming and presenting on this topic both fire and a drought and a little bit of fire, we're heading into a multi-layered challenging year. So 
Um, thank you everyone for attending. I wanna thank the Lake County Wine Grape Commission for doing all the heavy lifting and putting this webinar together. And of course, to all our speakers, our panelists and our sheriff for being here and being engaged on the issue. Thank you guys so much and uh, good luck as we move into early summer here. The Vine Line is a presentation of the Lake County Wine Grape Commission. You can subscribe to this podcast through our website or wherever you get your podcasts.